First Peter 3, 7 says, In the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Guess what I'm speaking on today? Turn to your neighbor, your spouse, and say, get ready. Go ahead and have a seat. Over 21 years ago, my husband spoke this message on an Easter Sunday. And this was totally out of the box because everybody came to church expecting a resurrection message, a, you know, an Easter message. And no, he comes out with a marriage message. And I remember so clearly because it was about 21 years ago, we had been married about 17 years. And our marriage had just gone through a major earthquake. My husband called the things that we go through in marriages earthquakes. Some are just a 2.1. Summer three, summer five. Well, for us at this particular time, it was a 10 on the Richter scale. It was, it was pretty bad. To the point where the choice of marriage or ministry was on the table. It was kind of like, you know, what do we do? Now, he wanted both. He wanted marriage and ministry. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You're going to have to pick one or the other. Because we, at this particular point, we just can't do both. And what we came to work, we worked through it, as you well know. And, um, and we just decided, as we worked through it, that we were just going to work really hard on, this, on our marriage. And that's how this message came to be born. My husband was not an ordinary man that you could predict. Everybody who knew him remembers. He thought and he lived out of the ordinary. I mean, I, I could not understand why he thought the way he thought, which is what attracted me to him because he didn't think normal. He thought totally abnormal. He would get titles and then he would ask God for the message to go with the title. Not the other way around. And one of the things that we had in common was our love for baseball. And we were both pretty strong individuals when we got married. And we had only been married, let's say, about two years. And, and I, I've been a baseball fan since I was eight years old. My dad took me to my first Dodger game, and I just fell in love with the game. And, um, and my husband was but from 125, 200 miles away. So we, you know, he was a baseball fan in his city and I was a baseball fan in my city, LA. And I remember when we got married and one of the things that I did is for one of the gifts for him, and I can't remember what the gift was or I mean when it was for, but I bought him some Dodger tickets and I bought him two tickets, one for him and one for me. And so he was so excited about going to the game because I think they were playing the Giants. 
and it was down there in L.A. So he had the tickets with him, and we talked about it in the morning, okay, and we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and we were already, you know, psyched up. We're going to go to the game. We're going to go early. We're going to watch batting practice. We're going to take our mitts, and about 4 o'clock, he calls me. He was at the church office, and I was home. Now, in order to give you the proximity, it would be that he lived in Hayward. I mean, he was working in Hayward. We were living at the end of Fremont, but Dodger Stadium was in Oakland. And so he was going to leave the office early to go home, pick me up, which is the right thing to do. (laughs) And then we were going to go to the game. I mean, it just sounded logical when we talked about it. It was fine. But he got caught up doing other stuff. So 4 o'clock, 4.30, 5 o'clock, 5.30. And see, we didn't have cell phones in those days. So I'm calling the office and calling. Nobody's answering. Where is he? What happened? And so finally he calls me about quarter to 6. And he said, I got caught up. I, I, I can't go pick you up. And I, what? What do you mean you can't pick me up? Those are the tickets that I bought for me and you. And he goes, I can't. I got to go. I got to go. I'm going to be late. I, what do you mean you're going to be late? And he's like, I got to go. Those are his famous words. I got to go. I got to go. Bye. And he hung up. And I was like, no, he didn't. No, he did. I and then I called the office again. Wouldn't you know? Nobody answered. So then I was like, oh man, this is just wrong. All the way around, this is just wrong. So at that particular time, Philip and Cindy LaCruz, you all know him as an evangelist, they lived across the street from us. So I peeked out my window and I saw their car. And uh, so I went over to, Philip was out of town and Cindy was there with the kids. And I went over to Cindy's house and I goes, what are you doing tonight? She said, nothing. I go, can I use your car? She goes, what, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go to a Dodger game. She goes, well, I thought you were going with Steve. Well, he left already. Okay. So I borrowed her car, drove down to Dodger Stadium, went to the ticket booth, and bought a ticket. I'm walking into Dodger Stadium, which is about 58,000 capacity. So I buy the ticket, and, I'm, and, and I'm, I'm walking down, and I buy it at the last minute, and you know where I get to sit? The first row where the pitchers are. And I was like, man, is this God or what? <laughs> so I go, and, I, and I, I'm walking down from you know, the top all the way down to the first row, and then all of a sudden, I hear, Josie! And I turn around, and there's my husband up there. And I'm walking all the way down there. And I went, catch you later. He had taken one of the other guys from the reentry home with him. So they were there. And it was just the look on his face, priceless. Needless to say, I had a lot of growing up to do. Because it was something that I just like, okay, we're, we ha- you know, I had to learn how to just let things go. Because I, I had been really strong and, and um, I wasn't going to let 
him get away with me not going to the game. But the Bible says that women are the weaker vessel. And the Greek word for vessel is vase, which is where we get the word vase or vase. And every woman needs to be treated like an expensive vase, well cared for. When my husband spoke this message, baseball season was just coming, and he referred to marriage and the care and the work that goes into marriage as baseball. He combined Voss and baseball with baseball, and that is the title of this message. Marriage has always been a hot topic in society, and especially in Hollywood. I remember a couple of years ago when I was watching the Oscars, Ben Affleck received an award for the movie Argo, and when he went up there and he got his award, he said he wanted to thank his wife for all the work that she had put into their marriage for 10 Christmases. And the next day, there were so many news articles who were downing Ben Affleck for talking about his marriage as work. But anybody who's ever been married knows that marriage is work. It's the best kind of work, but it's still work. And in fact, when I do marriage counseling, when I do especially premarital counseling, I let them know that if you don't want to die daily, if you don't want to learn how to become unselfish with your time, with your space, or with your stuff, don't get married. Because that's what marriage is. It's all about dying daily. If you're going to make your marriage work, <coughs> die because that's all it is. When two people get married, they not only marry the person, but they also marry all the dysfunction of their family, whatever it was. Imagine two dysfunctional people trying to function together. It's not easy. King David was a man who had a tremendously dysfunctional family. And yet God still used him greatly. Thank God that dysfunction does not disqualify us from his work. Because if it did, we would not be here. Victory Outreach has many dysfunctional families. And yet God has seen fit to pour his anointing upon us. Just like David, when it comes to family, we've all made mistakes. And as King David David's failures were on display for the whole kingdom to see. Just like every pastor and their wife, you see their kids and you see all their flaws because you're all looking at them. And I want to let you know something. Take your eyes off of pastor's kids because they're just kids. And sometimes the congregation expects them to operate at a different level. Well, you're the pastor's kid. You should behave differently. I remember one time when that happened with my son. You remember that, Stephen? That, there were so many, that's true, there were so many. But there was one time one of the leaders came and he told me in front of my son, your son did this and this and this and this and this and he's the pastor's kid. And he should not be doing that. He's the leader and everybody follows him. And he was really upset because 
my son was acting out once again in class. And, uh, and he was a leader even back then. He was like seven years old, still doing it. And, and I remember calling my son in and, and I said, did he tell you to stop? Yes. Did you stop? No. I said, okay, you owe him an apology because whenever an adult tells you to do something that you know you're doing wrong, you need to listen. So he apologized. And then I turned to the leader and I said, okay, now I'm gonna need for you to apologize to my son. And he goes, what for? I said, for expecting my son to be more than seven years old. He's only seven. He's not 17, he's not 27, he's seven. And so I expect him to be seven and I need for you to expect him to be seven too because he's a kid. So I just kind of threw that in just, just for extra because <laughs> it's gonna happen. If it hasn't already happened, don't expect the PKs to be any different than your kids, okay? Don't expect them to, just because they live in a godly home does not mean that all PKs are godly. I thank God that my children are all serving the Lord. I thank God they're all in church, but believe me, there were times where I was on my knees praying because I didn't know if that was gonna happen. And just like you have to be able to trust God for your kids, I had to trust God for my kids. But David paid a heavy price for the wrong decisions that he made as a husband and as a father. But one thing that he had going for him is that he was a man of prayer and a man of vision. And this is probably one of the strongest points in Victory Outreach is that we are people of vision. Our founder, Pastor Sonny, is a mighty man of vision just like my husband was. And Victory Outreach Hayward is a visionary church and has been right from the beginning. We've been able to send men and women to start churches in the Philippines, in South Africa, in Indonesia, and this church has only just begun. Just begun. Because you know why? The world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. There are countries that are open and waiting for us to plant churches and send missionaries. While our vision allows us to plant churches all over the world, sometimes the vision may consume us so much that we fail to see the people who are right in front of us, the ones that we should love and be most concerned about. And I'm talking to husbands right now who are sitting next to the person that they should value the most, their wife. Sometimes the vision to have a position and to have a title consumes you more than the vision to see the heart of your wife. To see your wife's heart is to be able to know what they need, to see where and why they hurt. You may have a big vision for the whole world. You may have a vision for the ministry. You may have a vision for this church. You may have vision for your job. But do you have a vision for your wife? God has given each man a vision, but sometimes that vision gets utilized for something else. It gets utilized for your career, for your building your bank account, for making a name for yourself, but not a vision for your wife. If God has given you a vision, you should be able to focus on the person who sleeps next to you. The Bible says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? But my husband reworded it many years ago. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world 
and lose his wife. It's happened. More than I would like to tell you, it's happened. I've been in this ministry 43 years, and I've seen people come, and I've seen people go. How sad is it when a mighty man of valor gains title, gains position, gains prestige, gains all the accolades, and yet he'll lose his wife and his family in the process. What a compromise. This is what Peter is trying to tell every man here in this verse. He's saying, take care of your wife. See, Peter was married. Out of all of the apostles, Peter, we know, was married. And he knew about being a husband. He knew about being the spiritual leader in the home. And Peter admonished men to live with their wives with understanding, with knowledge, with consideration. To be honest, most men don't consider their wives when they make plans. They make plans and they're like, okay, this is what we're doing. Men don't take the time to know their wives, to understand them. And at some point, the wives just kind of give up. The husbands just give up. Husbands say, man, I can't understand my wife, how she thinks. She's too complicated. I'm not even going to ask her. I'm just going to do it. When you were dating, remember back then? You could not know enough. You could not gaze into her eyes long enough. She could not share enough. You wanted to know everything about her. But now that she has your ring on her finger, you think you know everything there is. Wrong. One of the saddest stories of marriage, one of the saddest indictments against men is found in the story of Jacob and Rachel. I think it's one of the saddest indictments against men. Here is a man, Jacob, who fell in love with Rachel, fell head over heels with this woman, looked at her every day, and then he asked her uncle, can I marry Rachel? And he says, well, work for me for seven years, and you can have her. And the Bible says that those seven years were but a day. They were like nothing. He got to see her every day. He got to talk with her. He got to smell her. He looked at the shape of her hands. I mean, for seven years, it just flew by. Didn't even bother him. And then, when the time came, he says, okay, now you need to work another seven years. And he was like, I can do that standing on my head. Not a problem. So they had the marriage ceremony and Laban, their uncle, switched things on him. Now this is a man who knew the woman that he loved. He knew her voice. He knew her stature. He knew her shape. He knew her smell. He knew the length of her hair. He knew all of that, the color of her skin. I mean, he was there every single day, lived there for seven years. And yet, on their wedding day, Laban switches things and he sends in the older daughter, Leah. And guess what? Jacob 
sleeps with her instead of Rachel. What an indictment against a man who was so in love with his wife. Sometimes you don't know what is going on. You don't know. You're able to let your feelings and your emotions just overlook everything because you want your needs met, but you don't even know who you're sleeping with. You don't even know what is going on. And you can be sleeping with someone and not even care. And that's an indictment against a man who doesn't even take the time to know his wife. He thought he knew her, and yet he slept with her sister. How long have you known your wife? You think you really know her? You think you really know how she's feeling and what she's thinking? See, Peter knew marriage, and Peter knew ministry. If there was ever a Christian man who knew the male ego, it was Peter. Peter was a man's man. He was a fisherman. He was a man who was a biblical example that is used for many messages who make mistakes. Men who speak before they think. Men who get themselves stuck in situations. I can't even imagine what poor Peter's wife must have gone through. I mean, we see all the mistakes he made with Jesus. Imagine how many he made at home. Imagine how many things he did with his wife. Shut up. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I mean, he told Jesus, you know, just when he first met him, get away from me. I'm a sinful man, but get away from me. Imagine the kind of mouth that this man had. Imagine what his wife had to go through. He's a biblical example of a man who was mistake prone. He had the classic, I don't care attitude. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. A lot of men do things and they have the attitude of so what? And when, if you have the attitude of a so what, that breeds insecurity for your wife. Because she says, if he doesn't care, then why should I? The kind of macho attitude that says, I don't care, reproduces itself. And then you have a whole family telling themselves, well, if they don't care, why should I care? If they don't care, what, why should I do this? When we don't care, we make bad decisions. And the majority of women find men with that kind of an attitude. And it hurts. And the Bible says that pride comes before a fall. Peter was a man who used to not think before he spoke. He would speak and not think of the consequences. I'm talking of the Peter before Christ resurrected. After Christ rose, thank God he changed. That's why we have the book of First and Second Peter, because he knew what he was talking about. That's why he tells husbands, pay attention to your wife. But the man before was someone who would act, say things, and not consider the consequences. Why? Because he was tough. He could handle circumstances and situations. He was Peter. He was the man. But when you get married, every decision that you make doesn't just affect you anymore. Sometimes men get married and they still think they're single. They still want to go hang out with the guys. They still want to go out and go out after work with the guys. They still want to go out and do all this kind of stuff. But you have a family now. 
Even if your family's one or two or three, you have a family. And it affects your wife and your family because it's not about you anymore. Peter was an impulsive man. When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, what did he do? He pulled out a sword to cut off Malchus's ear. He thought he was right. He thought, I'm doing the right thing. I'm cutting off this guy's ear. When we were first married, there were things that my husband did because he thought he was right. He was totally wrong, but he thought he was right. He was not the kind of man who would take someone cut him off, cutting him off the freeway lightly. There were times when someone would cut my husband off and I would literally hold on because my husband was going to chase them down. Sometimes he did it with the kids. Sometimes he did it without the kids. But he was, I, I, and I, all the time that he would be going after them, I would say, you're the pastor, you're the pastor. <laughs> Sometimes it worked, most of the times it didn't. Because he was impulsive, just like Peter. What about those pre-resurrection days? Some of you wives have been with your husband before his life was surrendered to Christ. And many of you are thankful. But some of you are still waiting for Christ to change that I don't care attitude. See, in 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter is a changed man. And he's telling every husband to be considerate, to know and understand their wife as the weaker vessel. And sometimes men treat their wives just like the base in baseball. They jump they slide with their cleats first, wanting their wives to submit to whatever they want. The worst thing a man can do is to use scripture at their wife. That's the worst thing you can do. The Bible says that you are to submit. And my husband had a way of physically doing that, which I'm not going to do. But... Uh, in other words, you're trying to tell your wife, just do what I'm telling you to do. Just do what you're told. And I remember the first time my husband told me that. He told me in those words, the Bible says you are to submit. And I came right back at him. The Bible says that you are to love your wife like Christ loves the church and he died for the church. So are you ready to die? because I was ready at that time. Most men can be insensitive and inconsiderate. And most of the time you may not see the hurts and the fears that you may be creating in your wife. She's afraid to tell you things because she's afraid of your reaction. She's afraid that you're gonna go from zero to 200 and nothing flat. She can't count on you on being the same. Whatever goes on at your job affects the way you come home. Some wives live in fear, compounded by insecurities. There was a song in the 60s that some of you may remember. It was entitled, Treat Her Like a Lady. And the verse said, treat her like a lady and she'll be good to you. And most of the guys back then in the 60s, they knew, treat her like a lady. And that's all they knew. 
That, that's all they knew about the whole song. Treat her like a lady. Treat her like a lady. But they didn't really know how to treat their wife like a lady. They were just words with no action behind them. I don't know how you treat your wife, but when I got married in the beginning, I was treated like one of the guys. I hung out with guys pretty much all my life. My brothers were in the gang. I hung out with the gang. When, when I, I got saved, I hung out at the home. I mean, I was just always with the guys. And, and so my husband just kind of treated me like one of the guys, you know, just. <laughs> so one of the things that I learned how to do very young, actually in growing up, hanging out with the gang members, is I learned how to cap. Um, I don't know how to say. Yeah, make fun of other people. You just know how to cap. So, you know, and guys love to cap. I mean, when you get a whole group of guys together, I mean, that's just kind of like their favorite thing to do. They always do that. They love to put each other down. They all get together and they laugh at each other. And, and if one of the guys is wearing something funny or that's looking odd, man, the guys will crack jokes about him all night long. Where'd you get that from? Kmart, Blue Light Special? from your grandma's attic, you know, and I go on and on and on. And, and that's kind of the way it is with guys because that's just what they do. But my husband used to do that to me. And, and it was like hard to cap back at my husband because he expected me to be tough when he made jokes about me. And some of you do the same thing. You make jokes about your wife or you cap on her and you expect her to be like one of the guys. You may put her down, you may forget about her, and you expect her to take it like a man. But they're to be treated like the tender gender. For years, those of you who have been here for years, you know that I was used as a sermon illustration almost every sermon. Every sermon, my husband had something different to say. Use me as an illustration. And every time I was used, everybody would look at my reaction because some of those illustrations, they were funny to you, but they weren't funny to me. They were hurtful. And I would tell my husband, man, that hurt me. And then he would point out, but God used you. Did you see the altar call? People got saved behind that illustration. I look back at it now, and yeah, they were funny, but, but being the butt of the joke was not the funniest. And those were difficult years. And I'm, there wasn't one year or two years or three years. Pretty much all 22 years that, was, that happened. In those years, he was still learning how to live with me with understanding. He hadn't learned yet how deep those illustrations were affecting me. Husband, sometimes you don't even have to say anything hurtful. Sometimes you could just say, is that what you're going to wear? Uh, do you think you might, you know, do something different with your hair? Do you have anything else to put on? See, men, just like Peter, you need to think before you say something. 
Not thinking can cause hurt in your wife. And then you blame her for the way that she reacts. You blame her for avoiding you. You blame her for wanting to not be around you. I remember so many times my husband would raise his voice and then I, I would get hurt. And then like two minutes later, he would be like, like nothing, like absolutely nothing. And I would look at him like, did you just remember that you just yelled at me? He goes, that was two minutes ago. Forget about it. Let it go. And I'm like, okay. And there's a lot of men who are like that. You'll do something, you'll say something, and it was two minutes ago or five minutes ago or ten minutes ago, and it's already done in your mind, but not in your wife's. Some things are better left unsaid. You don't have to say everything you think. Your wife is the weaker vessel, and yes, your wife will take it personal. Men can find themselves shipwrecked or at dead ends or at their wit's end or lost. You have no clue where you're going. But you're not going to ask for directions. You are not going to do that. You'll find it. I don't care if you waste your whole tank of gas. You're going to find it. And see, that's why men can continue to go without strokes of love and affection. They just keep going. Not that you don't want it, but if you don't get it, you'll just keep going. But women, on the other hand, can't do that. Women need love. They need attention. They need care. They need tenderness. In Ephesians 5, Paul tells us three times in verse 25, 28, and 33. He says, for husbands, this means love your wives. In verse 28, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives. In verse 33, in the same way husbands love your wives. There's a reason that Paul gives admonition to the husbands to love their wives. It's because women have a great capacity to love and to be loved. It's within women to give and receive love. So Paul repeats and repeats and repeats. Love your wife, love your wife, love your wife. So you could never give your wife enough love. You just can't. They need it. They need the attention and they need the affirmation. You know, when fathers take care of their children, and let me tell you, I have this pet peeve when fathers say, I'm babysitting. You cannot babysit your kids. They're your kids. You take care of your kids. You don't babysit your kids. So when fathers take care of their kids, sometimes they may forget to feed their kids because he's not hungry. He may forget that the kids are thirsty because he's not thirsty. Because men wait for the need to show up and then they act. Kids are falling over like, I'm hungry. Oh yeah, I haven't fed you since this morning. It's six o'clock. They forget. They're not hungry, so why should they be hungry? Women don't need that to happen in their life because they're made more sensitive. They understand how people feel around them. See, most men are content to be by themselves just with the TV. They don't need to talk. They don't need to talk to anybody. 
They don't need to be invited places. Well, they didn't invite me. I got a TV. I can watch it here. They just want to be left alone in their little man cave. For some of you, the TV, the video games, and your hobbies, they get more attention than your wife. So why do men have caves and women don't? I have a cave. Because men can zone everything and everyone out and just focus. And I remember when we were married about a year and everything in the house at that point, because we had only been married a year, was mine. Um, I had my own apartment before I got married, my own car, uh, all my credit cards. I had the apartment. I had everything. My husband came into our marriage with a paper bag. All his worldly goods were in that paper bag. And I am serious. That's all he had. So he comes to the marriage, and that's all he had. So everything in the house was mine. So here we are, and we'd been married about a year, and I want to talk. And he's, but you know, he turned on the TV, it was a black and white, no remote, you have to actually turn the channel. And, um, and my husband was a sports fanatic. If it wasn't baseball, it was football. If it wasn't football, it was basketball, or track, or golf, or running, or track. I mean, you name it, he was just a fanatic. He, would just, he could watch sports all day long and just be a happy camper. But I couldn't. So I remember one day, um, we, were, uh, we were at home, and it was a Saturday, and I wanted to talk. I mean, we didn't get a day like that very often. And so I'm saying, you know, I, I want to talk to you. Wait, 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 commercial, commercial. Commercial comes, wait, 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 let me go get something to drink. Then it's back on. Okay, well, I want to talk. Wait till the next commercial. And this kept on going on and going on, and I'm, like, getting more mad and more mad and more mad. Because I want to talk. And he didn't, you know, sports was more important. So I don't know what happened. I don't know what got over me. But I picked up one of our crystal vases. And I went and, I went and stood in front of the TV and I said, okay, you don't want to talk to me? And I went, bam! And I threw the vase in the TV and the TV exploded. <laughs> And, and I got shocked. I got so scared because there were sparks flying everywhere. And he goes, what did you do? And all I could say was, it was my TV anyway. <laughs> and I walked away. Needless to say, I had a lot of growing up to do. When my husband first got saved, he used to tell people, you can throw me in the hole in Folsom Prison and give me a Bible and I'll be okay. And he continued to say that even after we were married. Throw me in the hole in Folsom Prison, give me a Bible and I'll be okay. And then he was saved one year, two years, five years. The thing was, he really meant it. He really meant, throw him in the hole in Folsom Prison, give him a Bible, he's fine. But I wasn't fine, because I was married to him. And there are things that women need. They need affection. You need to try a little tenderness. They need conversation. See, guys get together different than women. After God, my husband grew to the point where this became a reality with him.
Because in the beginning, it wasn't like this. It was God, then the ministry, then the Dodgers, then everything else, and then the family. But when this earthquake happened after 17 years, everything got changed. And then this became him. The Dodgers represent not just the team, but anything else. That even includes ministry. It was after God and after the family. And that's where it was supposed to have been. But we went through a whole lot to get to this point. We had to learn honesty and openness in our marriage. You know, husbands, sometimes you try to keep your weaknesses quiet. The thing is, your wife already knows. The biggest thing that ever happened when we had this earthquake in our marriage was when my husband decided to say, you know what, I want to be honest with you. And I'm going to tell you this and this and this and this. And I looked at him because there was no expression. And he looked at me like, you're not surprised? And I said, I already knew. And it was like so shocking to him that I knew his weaknesses. He was barely fessing up to them, but I already knew them. And I had accepted him and loved him despite the fact that he was able to be honest with me and himself drew our marriage closer together. And sometimes, husbands, you think that you, you, nobody, your wife doesn't know your weaknesses. She knows your weaknesses. She just doesn't point them out to you all the time. Husbands, your wife needs you for financial support and she needs you for a family commitment. You know, I've studied a lot and I've read a lot and I've done a lot of counseling. And one of the reasons that women have extramarital affairs, and it's not an excuse at all, but it's not because the guy is better looking, not because he's more buffed, not because he's a better dresser, not because he's got a Porsche or a nice car. Women have affairs because someone listens to them. That's it. Someone listens. Someone thought they were important enough to be listened to. And when you listen to your wife, you, you learn how to love them like Jesus loves his wife, the church. Women spell love, L-I-S-T-E-N. Listen. When you treat your wife right, when you care for her, you will reap the benefits and the blessings. When she feels special to you, you she will be able to meet all of your needs as you need them. When you plant blessings, your wife will be nice to live with. There was a woman called Ruth Ryan. You know her husband, Nolan Ryan. He was a pitcher who had every strikeout record in baseball. His name is in the Hall of Fame. And what his wife, she was asked this, what do you most remember about your husband? In all the years that he pitched, she says, the thing that I remember most about all the years that he pitched was that in, in every game, he would pop his head out of the dugout, look in the stands for her, find her, and wave. She would smile, and he'd go back in the dugout. Now, this man 
broke every major league record. But what she most remembers is that he would find her in the stands and recognize her. This was her moment. She didn't have to share it with anybody else. She, it's bigger than any no-hitter, bigger than any strikeout, bigger than any Hall of Fame. It wasn't baseball. It was baseball. Dwell with your wife with understanding. My husband wasn't always understanding in the early years, but, he, but we both made a commitment to work at it. When our marriage experienced that earthquake, he had just finished reading an article that said the stronger person in a marriage will always be the first one to humble themselves and apologize. And after that earthquake, he began to apologize so much that I said, what is up with you? Why are you always apologizing? And then he told me that he had read that article that the stronger person will always be the first one to apologize. And me being so competitive, we started rushing to be the first one to apologize. Okay, I got one more, I got, I, I'm up on you. I got one more up on you. And we made it more of a game than anything else because we both wanted to be the stronger one. Hands down, he was a stronger one. He was the more humble one. He was the one that asked for forgiveness way more than I did. Steve became a Hall of Fame baseball player to me. He was a great man that I saw change right before my eyes. I saw God make a man right before me. Men, you may never understand what makes a woman tick. Most men are clueless. But I'll tell you this, if you humble yourself and trust Christ to live through you as you listen to your wife, you just might make your marriage work. And I hope that you think about your spouse and you'll want to serve her with the attitude that Christ would have you, as he did. So you aren't responsible for the actions of your wife, but you're responsible and accountable for your actions. And it's never too late to start doing what's right, to do what would please the heart of God. The last 13 years of our marriage, my husband learned agape love, the love that God says we're to have one for another. Agape happens when an individual sees, recognizes, understands, or appreciates the value of a person, causing the viewer to behold this person in great esteem, awe, admiration, wonder, and sincere appreciation. This type of love is so strong that it knows no limits, it knows no boundaries on how far, how wide, how high, and how deep it will go to show that love. It's the highest form of love. It's a self-sacrificial type of love that moves a person to action. And it isn't looking for what it can get, but it's looking for what it can give. That's agape love. And when you love with a pure heart that you expect nothing in return, 
Sometimes we do things for our spouse and say, well, I did this. What are you going to do for me? But agape love doesn't expect anything in return. It's impossible for you to feel hurt or feel let down because they don't respond the way you want them to. It's a no-strings-attached kind of love. That's the kind of love that we need to have for our spouses. See, most men, they love their moms. In fact, when you're in the neighborhood and someone talks negatively about your mom, that means there's going to be a fight. And the only commandment that comes with a blessing is honoring your mother and father. Without honor, there is no blessing. For every husband who loves his mom, there is a saying that says, a man who treats his woman like a princess is proof that he was born and raised in the arms of a queen. Some of you need to make your mama proud. Some of you need to make your Lord proud. Some of you need to start treating your wife like the princess that she is. This altar call that I want to make today, it's for married men. But before you come, and if you come, I want you to know that this is a covenant that you're going to make between you and God. Not you and your wife, not you and your kids, you and God. And then behind every married man, every single man who wants to prepare himself to be the best husband, start by treating your mom like a queen. And then you'll be able to treat your wife like a princess. Stand with me. I'm not going to go into a lot of fanfare. I'm just going to say, you know what? If the Lord spoke to you and you're married, I want you to come and I want you to talk to the Lord. Just you and him. Nobody else. This is your covenant. Your covenant. And if your husband isn't here, you can stand for him. But this is an important altar call. Because men, you make your home. And if you don't treat your wife the way she should be treated, you're passing down an inheritance. And that inheritance is going to be that your children treat their wife like you do. This is a life-changing message, and you need to see it and treat it like it is. This is not just another altar call. This is a life transformation altar call between you and God. Nobody else. I want the rest of you to stretch your hands out this way, and we're going to pray for these men. Lord, as arms are stretched out this way and families and households are being represented, I pray for them the way that I prayed for my husband, that you would make them strong men, that you would make them strong leaders, that you would help them to give agape love, the kind of love that is sacrificial, the kind of love that overlooks and oversees their household with attention, 
with love, with concern. I pray for every husband that you would open up their heart and their ears to listen to their wife. That you would allow them, Lord, to be able to look past all the things that they may not like and to know that this woman was brought into their life by you. They think they picked them, but you did it. And all of the things that come with it, Lord, I pray that you would make them godly men, men that would seek you, men that would put you first and then their families. Their hobbies would not be next. Their ministries would not be next. The vision for their job or their bank account would not be next, but their wife and their children would be next. I pray that these men would develop the kind of love like you have for the church, that they would be willing to lay down their life for their wife and their family. Lord, I know that my husband may not be here, but I know he's looking down and he's, his prayer is for godly men to rise up. Just like you changed him, Lord, I pray you change these men and make them men of valor, make them mighty men of God, make them men that their wives admire and respect, make them men that their children would look up and say, I want to be just like my dad. Help them to raise up godly daughters, Lord. Help them to raise up godly sons. Train them in the way they should go so that when they're old, they won't depart. Raise up godly men that this church would be strong, that the foundation that my husband and I laid with your strength would be strong enough to stand through every marriage and every family. Be with my son and Chella, Lord, as, as they need this church. I pray for their marriage. I pray for their children. I pray that you would lead them and guide them. Make my son, Lord, a chip off the old block. Help him to be the man that his father was, a godly man, a man who loved his family and showed it a man who'd be willing to lay aside everything to let me and the kids know they were first. Be his lead, be his guide, be his strength. And help bring men around him who have that same attitude. They would be willing to do whatever you call them to do. Put you first and then their families and then the ministry. And we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise for what you're going to do. I'm coming your way.